Welcome to the Success IQ Podcast, the show for entrepreneurs who want to create and live an exceptional life. I'm your host, Jeff Nicholson, and this is episode 21. Good morning, good afternoon, and good evening. Wherever you are in the world, I truly hope you are having a fantastic week. So I hope you're all well, I hope you're having a great time, and welcome to the show for this week. Episode 21, I can't believe that I've already done 20 episodes. It's amazing how how time flies with this. And I'm really honored to have our guest, Stu McLaren, on the show today. Stu is one of those guys that I was immediately drawn to because of his authenticity, his passion, and truthfully, just seems like a really fun type of guy. And one of the things I did is when I started to think about doing a podcast show, I wrote down the people who I would love to have on the show as guests. And many of them you've already heard. Um, Some more uh, are due to be on the show in the later episodes. But I sat down and I went, okay, you know, if top five, who do I want on the show? Because of what they emulate, because of the journey they've had, because of the passion that they have. And Stu McLaren was up there. And I have to say, it, it took a lot of cajoling and a lot of little internal battles in my head to say go on let's just see if you'll come on the show and I had you know email scripted I had well you know how can I do this in order to get a guy like Stu McLaren on the show and I have to say it was the easiest person he was the easiest person to get on the show for me because because he is such a generous guy and it was I simply put a message out to him, said, look, I'd love you on the show. And he said, yes. And I was completely flabbergasted with um, how how helpful and how open he was. So next day, set, set an email to his assistant. And this is what we, um, this is the result. And I had a great time. This podcast is a little bit longer than usual, just because he had so much stuff to give. And he has so much energy and passion when he talks about it. So, yeah, so I really do hope you enjoy it. I, I had a blast doing it. Um, and because for me, of course, that's that's one of the, the golden rules. I've got to have fun. But, um, yeah, so let's tell you a little bit about our guest. Stu McLaren is the former co-founder of the world's largest membership site platform for WordPress, Wishlist Member. After interacting with over 60,000 plus membership site owners, he saw patterns of success with a small group of high growth sites. He then used that knowledge to launch and grow multiple high six and seven figure membership sites with New York Times bestselling authors, speakers and experts. Now he is sharing the same blueprints at tribeworkshop.com. Stu, I just want to say it's a real privilege and honor to have you on the show. Ah, thank you. Great to be here. Stu, I've been really looking forward to speaking to you. I've followed you for a long, long time. So what I'd love you to do is just talk us through your journey of how you sort of have gone through to the point now where you're helping all of these huge names in the personal development world and and other businesses get to where they need to be. Well, for me, my story really began when I was in um, college or university. I failed out of my first year. I just didn't have the grades to continue on. And I got the little pink slip that says, you may no longer proceed in the honors business program. Um, but I talked my way back in. I did extra credits during the summer. I did everything I could to get back in. And I did. Uh, scraped by, 
by the skin of my teeth in the second year. But third year, everything changed for me. And the reason it changed was I saw this video in one of my marketing classes. And it was this guy who was wearing a Hawaiian shirt, shorts, and he was running around with no shoes or socks on, shooting Nerf guns at corporate CEOs. And I remember thinking to myself when I saw it, I was like, dang, that looks amazing. And so I looked him up, and his name was Doug Hall. And he had a company called Eureka Ranch. And they help Fortune 500 companies come up with new product ideas. And what I loved was that it wasn't the same old, same old in terms of the corporate world. It wasn't people in suits. It wasn't people wearing ties that look like they're choking themselves. Um, and for me, like I really resonated with that because I was not a shirt and tie kind of guy. And, and I, something just felt right. And so I started learning everything I could from him about how to think more creatively. And it completely turned my schooling around. I went from bottom of the class to graduating my uh, maybe my graduating class, name outstanding male, had great grades, got a great job uh, coming out of university, and everything was all set. Except for the fact that the job that I got was in the corporate world. And again, I just shared like that, I just didn't resonate with that. So long story short, I made the very difficult decision then to go out on my own and just start my own business. And I went from essentially a motivational speaker to working for a seminar company, to then starting my own consulting business, to then starting a software company, uh, to where I am now, where I am back into coaching and consulting and uh, really help what it is that they know and what it is that they're doing uh, into recurring revenue through membership sites. Yeah, it's an, ama it's an amazing journey because this the software company was Wishlist, yeah? Is yes. What, yeah, and that's, that's no small company. <laughs> so. Yeah, that's... Uh, yeah, we grew that um, in the. I started. We started in 2008, and I sold my shares in 2014. And during that time, we were powering over 60,000 online communities and membership sites. And it was just a fascinating time. It was just a great um, opportunity for me to really learn like what works and what doesn't work with membership sites, and and uh, and how some companies and some markets are able to really excel and others are not. And it was just a, it was an awesome opportunity. Very, very grateful for it. And and for you, for you, Stu, what do you think are the challenges that people face with the online membership type uh, sites? What do you think are the sort of the challenges that people come across when they're doing that? Well, I would say one of the biggest challenges is that people think they've got to provide so much content. But the reality is neither you nor your audience want a ton of content. You know, we live in a world today where content is readily available every which way we turn. More content is not what people want. What they want is they want clarity and direction. And so the number one mistake people make is that they think that the more content they give, the more value they create. And it's just not true when it comes to membership sites. Your members, your audience, they don't want more content. They want clarity and direction. And so instead of having to sift and sort through a ton of stuff, they just want a few things. They're going to tell them exactly how to go from where they are to where they want to be. And so by far, that's the number one mistake and misunderstanding about membership sites is that you got to provide a ton of content. That's just not true, and that's just not the case. Mm. And do you find that because people have that belief, they they may set out to create this this massive big project of all of this content creation 
and then all of a sudden they find that so overwhelming that they either don't don't start or that they they just get overwhelmed with that whole that whole process yeah both i think you know they get paralyzed in the fear of like being caught on this content treadmill every month and not being able to keep up with it. So they fear that and therefore they don't get started. Or if they do get started, they get their knickers in a twist because they are so, they've designed the strategy behind the membership site in such a way that it's so dependent on them uh, cranking out a ton of content of which neither their audience wants nor do they enjoy creating. And so it just leads to bitterness and frustration, and the whole thing takes a spiral downward. Now, juxtapose that to a situation where you're very efficient in the way that you create content. You know, for a recent membership that I developed with New York Times bestselling author Michael Hyatt, we were able to generate more than a year's worth of content over the course of six days. How did we do that? Well, we were very efficient in the strategy around the content we were providing and how we would create it. And essentially, we'd do three two-day video shoots a year. And during those video shoots, we would get a more than a year's worth of content um, that would la- that we would then schedule uh, in the months thereafter. So it was very easy, very efficient, and it did not have us on a content tre- treadmill. And it was just the right amount of content for our audience to be able to absorb it, therefore put it in practice and get value from it. Wow. Okay. So, so from that point, because this is really interesting, because um, I'm in the middle of doing mine, and it's it's quite amazing how many different bits of advice you get from different people, and yeah. you know, and it's one of the interesting things for me is is with the with the content. So, uh, uh, an entrepreneur came and spoke to me the other day and asked me the question. I said, "Well, I don't know." is what they were saying is, is an evergreen model better in the sense of, you know, content is drip fed at certain points of time when they log on? Or is it, it is something where they get content all at the same time? Or really, I suppose the answer really is, is that very much depends on your client base. Yeah, there's really no one way. There's not. It's not a one size fits all when it comes mm. to membership sites. That's mm. the great thing about it, you mm. know, is that, you can really customize the membership site and the content and how you deliver it and the experience all based on what you want and what's best for your market. Mm-hmm. So, you know, one of the first exercises I encourage my clients to go through is really getting clear on the why behind membership sites. Why are you wanting to do it for you? Why are you wanting to do it for your business? And why are you wanting to do it for your audience? When you get clear on those things, it really begins to help shape the direction and the type of membership site you create. So somebody who wants a really hands-free, they don't want to be involved type membership, well, obviously the drip model is going to be a lot more appealing to them. Mm. But other people who really love connecting and deepening relationships with their audience and their tribe, they're going to want something that gives them the ability to be able to interact with people on a much more regular basis. So again, it always depends and it always comes back to the reason you want to do it, the reason you would want to do it for your business, and the reason you would want to do it for your audience. Yeah, and I suppose as well as is when it comes to when it comes to that sort of the the income generation is a lot of people look at it from a well, the, I suppose the buzzword seems to be the passive income side, which it isn't always passive, is it? Because it very much depends on your level of membership and how much interaction you want to put in will then depend on how passive or not it is is that right 
Absolutely. I mean, here's the bottom line. If you don't have an interest in your community, hmm. then why would anybody else? Yeah. You know, and I see this like happening all the time. You're right. There's this aura of membership sites that, you know, you just set it up and then you kick back, put the hands behind your head, put your feet up and all this recurring revenue is just going to continue to roll in. Look, membership sites are amazing because Mm. you are able to generate recurring revenue, Mm. but you still got to put in the time and energy to really cultivate and nurture that community. And the great news is the more you take care of your people, the more they will take care of you. And what I've found from years and years of experience in the sites that last the longest, the sites that are the most profitable are the ones where the site owner has an invested interest in seeing their members succeed or make progress. Mm. And you can't do that in a hands-free way. Like you have to have an invested interest in the success of your members. And when you do, they're going to be happy and continue to pay you month after month. If you don't, well, it's a matter of time before they fall off. And so whenever I hear somebody say, well, the average that somebody stays in a membership site is three, maybe four months, Mm. right away, that's a red flag for me. Because my clients and I, our members don't stay for months. They stay for years. And it's just a completely different philosophy about how to approach membership sites. Yeah, and I suppose is, is is would I be would I be wrong in saying is the the at least the way I look at it is it's almost like having a coaching client. So I've got coaching clients that I've worked with for four plus years, and we have a trusting relationship that you know they can come and we can we both grow at the same time. And in my head, that is the membership site is just a different vehicle to allow that maybe on a bigger audience, but still the the same principles. Yeah, absolutely. It's just more leverage, right? So in in the same way that your uh, mindset is around serving and helping your clients, it's the same mindset that you would have with a membership site, but just in a more leveraged way. Yeah. Okay. And, And so with that, and obviously they've tapped into their why, and they've got their why they want to do this and for what reasons, what would you then say the next place to start is? Do they do they say, okay, I'm going to invest in a platform or do they, you know, sit down and with whatever it is, post-it notes or white pads or whiteboards or whatever it is, do they then draw it out how they see or is that, is there a structure to it? Yeah, I wouldn't even go there. Um, I, where I would start is with your audience. So, you know, again, people just want to dive into this and they Mm. haven't given it enough thought in terms of who their audience is and what their really pain points are. So I'm looking for two things. I'm looking for the external problem or challenge, and I'm looking for the internal problem or challenge. So let me give you some idea. The external is like, what would your market, when they go to Google and they're seeking a solution, what are they typing into Google? Whatever that is, that's the external problem or challenge. And you want to be crystal clear aware of that because that's the initial thing that they're going to be looking to solve. And that's one of the major ways to draw people into your membership. Now, the second thing is the internal. So that's whatever conversation is happening inside of their head that's keeping them up at night. So when they're laying in bed and they can't fall asleep, why? What is it that's going on that is keeping them awake? You want to be aware of those things because both play a critical role in both your marketing and in the content that you create inside of your membership. They're like the foundation for everything that you're going to do thereafter. And so, for an example, 
I had a gentleman who, you know, he was a speaker. He'd been around for years and years and years. And when I was talking him through this part of the process, he's like, yeah, 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 Stu, I got it. I know it. I know it. I, I you know, I'm beyond that point. Let, let's just get to the marketing. And it was interesting because like when you focus on the external and internal, you realize that it has nothing to do with you and your marketing should center solely on your audience and their problems, their needs and helping them uh, achieve and make progress. So when I went to this guy's site, I could tell right away he did not get it because the headline of his site was his name, comma, and all these like, you know, uh, PhD and everything else thereafter. It was all about him and had nothing to do with his audience. And so we think we know these things oftentimes, but what I'm encouraging everybody listening is to really camp out, really spend time on your audience's external and internal problems. So how do you go about doing this? Well, for example, the other day I was teaching a, a workshop, a membership site workshop, and in the audience was a couple who happened to be world-class experts helping you as a parent um, get your kids to sleep well at night. And as a father of two young ones, I was just like absorbed in everything they had to say. I'm like, tell me more, tell me more. And, uh, but one of the things that um, I was showing them was I said, okay, like, look, if I was looking for the external and internal problems for your market, what I would do is I'd go to Google and I would type in how to get my toddler to sleep at night plus forum. And so we did that and immediately like all these results come up. And so we start opening up a bunch of forums and one of the forum threads that we land on was this woman describing the situation and it couldn't have been more perfect. She was describing how when it was time to go to bed, her toddler, her little boy would be putting up a fuss and he would be crying and he'd be screaming and, and he would be giving every excuse in the book and all these little things. And as I'm reading it, I was just smiling because I'm like, yep, my guy, my little guy's done that before. Yep, my, my daughter was the queen of like every excuse she, she could think of, you know? And uh, so she's, those are all the external problems. Then the internal, you could see this start to bubble up because in that post that she made, she had a few comments like, I don't know if it's just me that's struggling with this, but I somehow can't feel like I am failing as a parent. I was just like, boom, stop right there. I'm like, look how powerful that is. That's the thing that keeps her up at night. That's the thing that really like, you know, has her worried that A, she's not, she's not a great parent. And then she had another line in that same post that was around the um, friction that it's creating in her marriage with her husband. And I'm like, those are the things, that's the internal. But see, if we don't spend time doing that research, we don't get a deeper understanding of why people are really seeking a solution and how we can really serve them. Hmm. And so when you, that's, that's where I do a lot of, spend a lot of time, both for marketing purposes, both for content purposes, is really going deep on my audience. And I'll spend more time there knowing that it's going to pay off tenfold down the road and make things a million times easier when it comes to everything else uh, constructing the membership. Yeah. Yeah, I must admit, as soon as you were talking about that, I remember I went back 17 years thinking about my kids trying to go back, <laughs> trying to go to sleep. But it's, I suppose there's that other interesting bit as well, isn't it? Because it's you're creating that market, and then as as you call it, it's the tribe, and the oh. you know, and the one thing that my, you know, my, Michael's done. I should call him Mister Hyatt, but Michael's done 
um, and you've done with your marketing is you bring that into there's a there's a high level of trust that you create. I mean, those videos you have on on that I see on Facebook and stuff. There's they. I said to um, my son who's doing videography at the minute, and I said, son, they they're speaking to me. They're not right. speaking to anyone else, and obviously they are. But I says that's speaking to me. And there's a great one when you're sitting on a satellite dish somewhere in Hawaii, I think it is, um, and it it's just and I said and that that's the beginning of the tribe, isn't it? Because that's the beginning of, you don't just create a relationship. You almost create a, well, I'm going to say family in its loosest of terms, but it's yeah. that's, that's what you create. And I, I've just recently seen a video of you doing, um, I think it was one of your seven figure workshops and Jeff Walker and stuff was in the, in the video and stuff. And you mm. just look at the fun, the energy that everyone's having and that camaraderie that you create. And that, for me, anyway, that is ultimately what you are trying to create with an online membership. Yeah, well, it's it's fascinating because, you know, oftentimes we think we have to sell people hard. You know, it's like we, we have we come up with these, um, you know, closes and these sales tactics and uh, all this kind of stuff. But the reality of it is the better you know your market, the less you have to sell. Because, like, for example, you just pointed it out there, Jeff, like, when you saw those videos, you, you felt a connection yeah. and you felt a connection because I knew my market inside and out. And I know where I can connect at a much deeper level. And I know what's important to you. Hmm. And I know what's important to my audience because I feel the same levels of importance in my life. You know what I mean? Yeah. And that's why I'm so passionate about it. That's why I love helping entrepreneurs. That's why I love the business that we're in. Hmm. And so the, the thing is, is that comes from doing a ton of research, really getting to know what's important to my audience. What do they value? What do they not value? Like, listen, I have, um, you know, drawn a very clear line in the sand. You know, there's two really trains of thought as it relates to business success. Yeah. One is that you got to hustle your face off for 15 hours a day and you got to go, 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 go. Yeah. Now, that's one train of thought. There's nothing wrong with that. No. But that's one train of thought. Mm. But that is not what resonates with my audience. No. What resonates with my audience is designing a business that gives you the time to be with your family, to be with your kids, and to spend time on crafting a life that you love. Mm. So there's no right or wrong. There's just there's just a difference in terms of what resonates with different audiences. And so until you get clear on those things, you can't communicate that and you can't show that in your marketing materials and your videos and so forth. But when you're clear, holy cow, can you ever bring those things to life? And then people are just, you, you feel a deep connection with your audience and they feel a deep connection with you. And when you connect at the heart, it opens everything up thereafter. Yeah, and I and I actually, and, and, and I'm not just saying this, I actually think you go... A level deeper because um when i first saw the podcast series with um, michael hyatt and you co-presented um mm. that was when i went i need to get to know i need to know and find out more about that guy because that's the bit and it wasn't i didn't know any any i hadn't seen as much marketing as obviously as you do now but for mm. me it was you you came across as as that father trying to enjoy life and create a great business and just wanting to have fun while you do it. And that yeah. comes across 
in your videos that comes across even when it's got your kids in or where i think i saw one of you doing one in, in your in your mini everything mm-hmm. came across and that and that's one of the reasons why i like michael hyatt it's yeah. it's it's you it's from a grounding up so the authenticity flows from a far far deeper level in my eyes anyway from just the marketing and i'm not yeah. i'm not you know you haven't paid me to say this you're not i'm not <laughs> trying to i'm not trying to blow smoke i mean that honestly and sincerely there's i think that's the the amazing gift that you have when you create a tribe but you're doing that even before at least with me anyway you did that before i even saw that yeah well i i appreciate it buddy i don't take those words lightly you know and and i think like i said it's rooted deeply in my understanding of my own values and my own philosophy and beliefs and similarly you know the values beliefs and philosophy that my market uh, holds near and dear to their heart as well and i think that comes from doing the research and it's easy to want to just jump right into the marketing it's easy to want to jump right into the tactical things of setting up a site and all that kind of stuff but Here's the reality, Jeff. None of that matters. None of that matters unless you really know your audience, what they're seeking, what what is their most immediate need, their external problems or challenges, and what's really keeping them up at night, their internal problems and challenges. And when you can give voice to those things, you will connect with people on a much deeper level. And then, like I said, from that point forward, there's a level of trust that has been created in a much shorter period of time mm. that opens people up to anything that you have to say thereafter. And so it's, um, it, it's all deep-rooted in the research you do on your market and really getting an understanding of how you can really help and serve the people that, you, that are in your audience. Yeah. Brilliant, uh, Stu. I could speak to you for hours. Um, so I'm gonna I'm gonna break that bit up, and we're gonna go into the second part. Um, I've got tons of notes. So if you've you might hear scrolling when when I pre when I record this back. So what we're gonna do is we're gonna go into the second part, which is um, the questions that I, I ask every single guest that appears on the show, um, okay. just to give everyone a more rounded idea of you know, how you, your thought process are, some of the challenges you're facing and those sort of things. So the first question is, is how much time do you spend or a month on your own self-development? Man, that's a good question. I don't know that I've really calculated it down, but here's okay. what, I, what I can tell you. Every single day, I listen to materials. So, you know, whether it's when I'm driving to take the kids to school. So I, every day, I drop them off in the morning. And then on my drive back, I'm listening to podcasts. So that's about, you know, 10 minutes, uh, 10, 15 minutes. I listen to stuff when I'm going driving to the office, which is about 20 minutes there and 20 minutes back. So again, I'm listening to podcasts and uh, uh, information that way. Okay. Um, and then I try to read every night. So, you know, I'm really good with books that have short chapters, Jeff. <laughs> um, <laughs> like yeah, like pictures. As soon as my head hits the pillow, I'm like I'm out like a light. So short <laughs> chapters are best for me. But um, I, I chip away at books, so I'm not mm. a fast reader. But I, I try to um, continue to read, and I'll, I I like reading. Like right now, I'm I'm obsessed with uh, parenting books of all things because um, my kids are just at that age where you know I've got a two and a half year old son and a five year old daughter, and they're just they're incredible um, little human beings, and I just I love playing. 
uh, a part in their life, and I just want to make sure I I uh, do it well. And so I'm just I'm reading about you know uh, parenting and and helping your kids develop confidence and stuff like that. So that's where my mind is right now. But um, so yeah, I would say in terms of a month, I mm, I would probably say like you know half hour to 45 minutes a day on mm. on podcasts, maybe like uh, 15 minutes a day reading. And I'm not. Uh, I wish I was more disciplined on the reading side. I definitely, I've got yeah. piles of books that I would love to, you know, hammer through. But um, I wish I could uh, develop a, a better habit there on the reading side. But on the podcast side, I'm definitely an auditory learner. I love, love listening via audio. And so, yeah, probably 35 to 45 minutes a day um, on audio. Okay. I think that's the thing is the common thread that comes through is the, the people who have been interviewed so far on the show, it, it's they are consistent learners. You know, and right. I think it's that it's that thing is, is, you know, I call it success IQ, but you can call it whatever it is, is if you're wanting to make that impact in your life and you're wanting to change, you have to work at it consistently. And it's it's whether it's it's whatever platform it is, whether it's online training or podcast or audio books or whatever it is. It's just that willingness to continuously move and develop. But I suppose at the same time, stop and work and work through it rather than just drilling through one book after one book after one book. It's like with parenting, you could read 50 books, but if you don't stop and I guess it's sometime practice, you yeah. know, what you're reading, it's then thing, you know, so eventually you'll be the Caesar Milan of children. <laughs> exactly. That's what I'm hoping for. <laughs> um, okay. So um, the second question is, is what is your favorite personal development book and why? And it doesn't it doesn't necessarily have to be a, um, a traditional person development book. Maybe it's just something that has taught you something that's a massive benefit to your own development. Okay, well, I'm going to give me one second. I'm going to pull two over from okay. my bookshelf. One sec. Okay, so actually I grabbed three. <laughs> Couldn't help myself. Okay, so the very first personal development book that I read from cover to cover and I took a gazillion notes, is from an author that is not well-known at all. It's a Canadian author, and I first read his book when I was in university, and my goodness, it just opened me up in so many ways. It's called Growing the Distance, Timeless Principles for Personal Career and Family Success, and the author, his name is Jim Clemmer, and it was just a wonderful, wonderful book I highly recommend, again, called Growing the Distance. Then um, more recently, I just loved Michael Hyatt's book called Living Forward. Yeah, it's he brilliant. Co- yeah. He co-wrote it with Daniel Harkavay. I mean, um, I'm just Michael is just a dear friend, a brilliant mind, an incredible leader, and just an all-around amazing human being. Yeah. And uh, his book called Living Forward, A Proven Plan to Stop Drifting and Get the Life That You Want, was just an awesome, awesome read. And then when you asked about like, a book that isn't maybe not necessarily considered a personal development book. Um, uh, I want to share one that I just found just an absolutely fascinating read, and I could not put it down. It's called The Professor, The Banker, and The Suicide King. <laughs> and it's inside the richest poker game of all time. And uh, so again, The Professor, The Banker, and The Suicide King. And basically what this is, the reason I found it so fascinating was it's a real world story of this billionaire who was a he was a pretty good poker player and he had the idea 
that he wanted to play poker one-on-one against the world's best poker players. And so what he did was he created this super high stakes game of poker where all these, um, the world's best poker players, they were actually on a team together. And one by one, they would uh, play this billionaire um, and they would pool all of their money together in order to be able to play this super high stakes poker game. And it was just fascinating, the psychology that was happening during these high stake poker games. Because the billionaire, the advantage he's got on his side is he's got oodles and oodles of money. And then the poker players, the advantage they've got on their side is they're, they're some of the world's best poker players. But when you raise the stakes high enough, it's just fascinating what happens on a uh, psychology level and how people then begin to make different types of decisions rather than relying on their own skills or trust their instincts and so forth. And so, yeah, it was just a fascinating uh, book. So that's The Professor, The Banker, and The Suicide King. And who, who wrote that one, Stu? Uh, the author's name is Michael Craig, uh, C-R-A-I-G. Brilliant. Thank you very much. Okay. Right. Okay. So I'll put, I'll put all these on the show notes as well so people can can get them. Okay. So the third question is, what is your favorite app? I've got to ask, I've got to ask someone like yourself, what's your favorite app? Yeah. You know, man, I, um, <laughs> I use so many, I, but you know, for me, like I do keep things pretty simple. So, um, I use, um, I use Spotify all the time. And these are probably like, you know, easy ones for your audience. But, um, another one I use is Expensify. All right. Okay. Um, to track expenses. Um, but one one that I just absolutely love recently is called Soothe. S O O T H E. I think this is only relevant for people in certain parts of the U.S. But a friend of mine told me about it, and basically it's like the Uber for massages. So oh, wow. imagine that, like, here's the exact scenario. Uh, my wife and I were in uh, Los Angeles and we were speaking at an event. And it was long day and we were tired and exhausted and I wanted to treat her to a massage. And so I open up Soothe and in, inside of the app, you have the opportunity to like pick, like, do you want, what kind of massage do you want? And so I picked a couple's massage. And then it's like, like I said, the Uber from the massage world. So you literally pick the type of massage you want. You say what date and what time. And then they go and match you up with a masseuse that then shows up like wherever you have indicated you want to have the massage. So it was awesome. Wow. So we literally had uh, like a couple's massage in our hotel room and the masseuse just showed right up. It was amazing. So that's the other app that I'm a big fan of recently. That's, that's, that's very suave and debonair, that one. I like yeah, that one. What's cool about that, though, is it just got me thinking. I was like, man. Just think of this concept like yeah. that, um, you know, Uber and in this case, Soothe are really opening up. And that is this the ability to be able to use an app to have a, a service on demand, mm. you know, and it's that's transformative in so many ways. And, you know, my wife and I were thinking about it afterwards, like how many ways that one simple concept can be transferred across so many different industries. Yeah. Like I, I'm not a very handy guy, so I, you know. When it comes time to fixing things around the house, it's inevitable that I have to hire somebody. But imagine if I had an app that was like, anytime I needed a handyman to help me with a couple jobs, like boom, mm-hmm. I could you know pick a date and a time and have somebody show up. Like there's so many different ways that that whole concept could be applied. 
Um, so really, really exciting. Well, that's cool. Okay, question number four is, what's your biggest business mistake and what did it teach you? This one, um, I mean, okay. The f- biggest business mistake that I made was not creating redundancy in my business. And what does that mean? So um, several years ago, I was sat down with the CEO of a company that had grown really quickly. They had gone from seven employees to hundreds of employees in literally a matter of months. And so I was fascinated by this. And I said to him, I said, how were you able to scale? How are you able to grow so quickly? Like, um, and I was just, yeah, I was genuinely curious. And he said to me, he's like, before I answer that, he said, let me ask you a question. He said, what's your biggest strength? in terms of business and i said uh probably marketing and he's like got it he said i'm willing to bet that your biggest strength is your business's biggest weakness i said pardon me he said your biggest strength marketing is likely your business's biggest weakness and i said i I don't get it can you explain he said well if i remove you from the equation He said, what happens to the marketing in your business? And I was like, light bulb moment. There it was. I said, I get it. He said, you know, if you, something happens to you, he said, worst case scenario, you get hit by a bus. He's like, your business just crumbles. And uh, I said, I get it. And so I think there's a lesson there for all of us because many times we have, you know, skill sets as entrepreneurs and as leaders in our organizations and so forth. Um, But we take that for granted. And instead, what we should be doing, this is exactly what the CEO did, was he surrounded himself with people who not only could um, take on a lot of the load that he was typically doing in his business, but were able to create redundancy in the business. And this became so apparent, this lesson, when I reflected on it, because earlier um, when I had our software company, Wishlist, we had a moment in time when the company was like really just taking off. It was really starting to grow and explode. And we had a, uh, we had one developer at the time and 10 months into it, his name was Mike. He came to us and he said, you know, guys, I absolutely love and adore you. And he said, but I'm an entrepreneur at heart and I want to kind of venture out on my own and start my own business. And so like there was this, part of us where my heart just sank because I, you know, I, I, uh, I was happy for him. You know, he's a friend and I love the entrepreneurial world, but at the same time, I'm like, crap, like, what are we going to do? Like, he's our guy. And, um, so, you know, we scrambled, like he gave us a month and we, you know, we tried to hire and it was just a big, uh, mess. And then he left and started his own thing. And, uh, and so here we are trying to, you know, scramble and find people and bring them up to speed. And it was just a nightmare. And then all of a sudden WordPress made some updates and it was a whole bunch of things broken in our software. And oh my gosh, it was like the worst nightmare that we could have been experiencing. So then my business partner said, you know what, like, um, why don't we hire Mike for a week of consulting um, to help us get everything cleaned up, to get it all sorted out. And then we'll uh, move forward from there. And I said, no, I don't think that's a good idea. He's like, what are you talking about? I said, I I don't think we should hire him for a week of consulting. I said, I think we should get him back. And I think we should make him a partner in the business. Hmm. And my other partner's like, what are you talking about? Like, I don't think we need to do that. And I said, 
I don't think we need to. I think we have to. I said, you know, long term, neither you nor I are the technical mind on this. And we're a software company. I said, I want somebody who's got skin in the game. So we flew to see him to have this meeting. And he, uh, Mike, initially thought it, again, was for the week of consulting. So we get there. And uh, I asked him, I said, Mike, so how's things going in starting your own business? And he's like, well, you know, he's like, there's more to it than I initially thought. He's like, you know, I was kind of hoping I'd just have more time to be able to code and stuff like that. He's like, but there's so many other uh, pieces to the entrepreneurial puzzle. And in my mind, Jeff, I'm like, yes. I'm like, this is exactly what I want to hear. <laughs> and then uh, and then I said to him, I said, uh, so then I began, uh, shifted the conversation. I began pitching him on the idea of coming back and becoming a partner and giving him the freedom to be able to focus on what he does best. Uh, which is developing and developing a team. And then um, while we take care of the other stuff, like the marketing and the operations and all that kind of stuff. And so the more uh, I talked, the bigger the smile he got on his face. And by the end, he said, you know what? I'd be stupid to say no. He's like, I'm in. And I was like, yes. I'm like, woohoo. And we're like high five. And we're like, this is a big moment. And then he said, guys, before we uh, dig into some of the other stuff, he's like, can I um, just be upfront and honest with you? And I said, whoa. I hope so. Like, you know, we're business partners, you know, like, yeah, I want you to be honest with me. He's like, well, just prior to coming to this meeting, my wife actually suggests that I ask for my job back. And I said, really? I said, well, here's what I want you to do. I said, I want you to go back to your wife and I want you to tell her that you not only got your job back, but that you convinced us that you should be a partner in the business. I'm like, you do that, my friend, and she is going to love on you like you haven't been loved on in months. <laughs> and, uh, and that was a big turning point in our business and in our career because he came back and he not only owned all the technology side and got all that sorted out, but he began developing a team. And this all started because you asked, like, what was one of the biggest mistakes and what did it teach you? The biggest mistake was that we didn't have redundancy in our business. The biggest mistake was we were dependent on one person for such an important role in our business. Hmm. And the lesson that it taught me was that we all need to create redundancy, both hmm. with our own skill sets and that with others. Yeah. And once Mike came back, he started, not only did he fix everything and get everything on track, but then he started to develop a team of people so that worst case scenario, if anybody uh, fell off, the team would be able to carry the momentum forward. And I just think that that's so applicable in so many areas of our business and in our lives. Yeah, totally. I mean, there's quite often when I'm speaking to, to my clients or um, speaking to people at, at events and stuff, um, and I talk about, you know, what, what are you going to do? Because quite often uh, stress seems to come up a lot. Mm. Um, and obviously, as, as you know, entrepreneurship it can be extremely rewarding, but it can be stressful as well. Right. And and I look at them and I say, you know, I lost six years of my life. I couldn't work for six years. Mm. And what would happen to your business if you got that ill? Right. And it, it they it doesn't really dawn on them because their 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 vehicle is their passion, they love what they're doing, and they don't think about there has to be a contingency that if something something breaks and i.e if you get ill or some key member gets ill with whatever or even if they just decide to leave there has to be something that you've got in place where business doesn't just stop because that's that that is that is one of the key things it needs to be continuously fed and it's, yeah. it's a great point brilliant point 
Yep. Okay, so the second one is, uh, sorry, the fifth question, sorry. Um, what are your challenges, and I've seen your video, so I'm, I'm hoping there's some really cool, useful information here. What are your challenges in balancing work and life? And how do you it's, fix them? <laughs> yeah. Well, the challenge is I am ridiculously passionate about the work that I get an opportunity to do. Yeah. And I am ridiculously grateful for the time that we live in to be able to do it. You know, mm. I just look a generation ago to my parents and they have a fraction of the opportunity that we have today. And for that, I am very humbled and very, very grateful. And so I've got on one side this drive and this passion and this gratefulness for the business that I get to build and grow. And then on the other side, I have a even deeper love for my family and for the uh, byproduct of the business, which is yeah. the time that I get to spend with my family and really helping shape the lives of my kids and and deepen the relationship with my wife and friends and so forth. And so, you know, there's this constant tension and it's not something that goes away. No. It's not something that's easily resolved. But what has happened is that I've just gotten clear about my priorities. I've gotten clear about how I make decisions. And that has just put everything into perspective. So when I am faced with a moment of time when I have to choose, because I'm clear about my priorities, it makes the decision easier. And listen, there are going to be times with work that are going to be busier than others. It's like, a, you know, it's, it is this constant like back and forth and it's like a dance. But the reality of it is if you get too weighted on one side, that's when you get out of kilter. Like, and I learned this from Michael Hyatt. I mean, he's such a dear friend and was incredible uh, mentor and leader and business partner. And one of the things that he would always say is that you, um, you can't win uh, at both if you are, you know, supremely focused at one, meaning like if all of your time is focused on your career, then what's going to happen is your relationships and your family life are going to be pulled out of kilter. And as soon as that does, it's going to unravel everything at work anyway, because now you're going to have to shift attention, whether it's a divorce or there's something happening with the kids or whatever. But likewise, if you're always focused on the family, then you're never going to be able to have as much of a fulfilling life because you won't be building the career that satisfies you on your internal purposes. Does that make yeah. sense? Yeah, yeah, totally. totally. And so his whole thing is like, you can't win at one without winning at the other. So you've really got to focus on winning at both in order to have a successful life. And, and uh, I couldn't agree with him more. And that's why, you know, I believe we live in the greatest time ever because now we can actually take control of our lives. Now we can actually, you know, design our lives and design our business to really allow us to be able to do both. And it's not a matter where we have to make a decision one or the other. It's a matter of where we can say we can do both, but we got to be conscious about it so they don't get out of balance in any one way. Yeah, yeah, no, no, I, I totally agree. So just, just sort of very quickly picking at that, when you, so like, you know, where you set your working week up, do you have set days where you go, okay, I'm going to be at the office, then I'm going to have three days where I spend time with my wife and my and my kids? Or do you just sort of stay true to that, making sure that you remember both sides? I have rules of engagement is what okay. I have. So, okay. for example, 
Um, my mornings are dedicated to my kids. So mm -hmm. from, you know, 630 is normally when they're up and at them and I'm the morning guy. So um, I'm up with the kids in the morning. That's when we're, you know, getting breakfast. That's when we read together. That's when we, uh, that's when I have conversations with the kids at, you know, at the breakfast table. It's when we get them ready for school. It's when I take them to school. So from 6.30 to 9 in the morning is time with the kids. Right. Then they're at school. So from 9 to 4 o'clock is basically time when I'm working. Mm -hmm. And so that's my work time. Then when my kids get back, like my kids are going to be home any minute. And when they get home, that's their time. So again, mm. I shift gears. So workday's finished, and now it's all about Amy and the kids. And so I just chunk it up that way. So that's one rule. Another rule is like if I'm away for more than three days, when I come back, there are two days of complete unscheduled time, mm. meaning there's nothing on the calendar for me as far as interviews, consulting, coaching, anything. No work is scheduled two days when I get back because I just want time to recover and just to, you know, be with the kids and, and Amy and so forth. And so it's less about like um, specific routine and more about creating rules of engagement. Does that make sense? Yeah, completely. Yeah, no, completely. Brilliant. Thank you for that. Right. Uh, question six. What advice would you give an entrepreneur that you wish you had known when you started out? Get clear on how you make decisions. Okay. So... And um, when I decided to sell my software company, it on paper didn't make sense because here we had a very successful company, multiple millions of dollars a year. I had amazing business partners who I'm still very good friends with today. Uh, we had an amazing team. We had an amazing product that was serving tens of thousands of people. Like on paper, it did not make sense that I would want to sell this thing, but what ended up happening was a situation, it was like the perfect storm. I had read two books in particular. One was called Essentialism. The other was called The One Thing. Oh, Both books are amazing books. I highly recommend them. And then at the same time, I had heard Michael deliver a presentation where the final thing that he boiled it down to was a, one of the questions was, what brave decision do you need to make today and i was just like wow and so i you know i then i went away um on this summer camp for families and at the time it was my wife and my daughter and i and so imagine i'm sleeping in this cabin my wife is right beside me my daughter's like five feet away from me in a bunk bed and it's pitch black but it's pouring rain outside so i can't turn the light on because they're sleeping in the same cabin i can't go outside because it's pouring rain and i'm just lying there in complete darkness with my thoughts mm. which is a very dangerous place to be <laughs> yeah <laughs> um yeah. and so i'm sitting there and i'm thinking and the one thing and the essentialism and michael's presentation they're all swirling around in my head and essentially in one of those books they recommended you create a decision criterion so that it helps guide how you make decisions. And they basically said, the reason is most entrepreneurs get stuck working on projects or businesses that are like a six, a seven, or an eight out of 10 on their scale. Hmm. And so I sat there and I thought about that for a bit. And I said, okay, well, how do I make decisions? Like, how do I decide what I'm gonna do and what I don't wanna do? And what I realized for me, it came down to three things. Number one, everything in my life is designed to eliminate or reduce bad stress. 
like if I'm stressed, it just throws me completely out of kilter. Like I'm grumpy. I'm not the person that I want to be. I, I'm not uh, productive. I'm not creative. Like it just robs me of all of the goodness from my mental and physical well-being. Yeah. So everything in my life is designed to reduce or eliminate bad stress, the stuff that keeps us up at night. Number two is my wife and I have our charity where we build schools over in Kenya. And that's a huge part of like what I do. And it's really opened me up as an entrepreneur to really feel amazing about making money and how making money is a very honorable thing because the more money we make, the more money we can give. And I absolutely love being an entrepreneur for that reason. And so everything I do is laced with impact and everything I do, I want to have a huge impact, both with my family and friends, both in our community and in the world. And so if I can't have a big impact with whatever opportunity is presented to me, then it's a no-go. Mm -hmm. So number one is low stress. Number two is high impact. And number three is high profitability. Now, I've been very blessed. You know, my whole career, I've either been involved in software or information. So both have ridiculously high profit margins. Mm -hmm. So when opportunities come my way, like my buddy who owns multiple restaurant franchises, has been for years trying to get me involved in a restaurant. And I just won't do it because it just does not match or exceed the profitability margins of everything else that I'm currently doing. So that's how I make decisions. Stre mm -hmm. Low stress, high impact, high profitability. Now, the way I make decisions is going to be different from the way you make decisions. But we all got to get clear on what those are. And when you do, holy mm -hmm. cow, mm -hmm. it begins to make everything clear. So there I was lying in that cabin. And I was thinking about this as it relates to what I was working on. And what I realized in the time was that Wishlist was an 8 out of 10 for me, which is the worst possible number it could have been. Because what they advised was if it's not a 9 or a 10, you get rid of it. Mm. And so here I am with my primary business being an 8 out of 10. And so I'm sitting there and I'm trying to justify in my mind. I'm like, okay, well, wait a minute. If we just do this, it'll be a nine. Or if this happens, it'll be a 10. And I'm like, no, no, no. What is it right now? And it was an eight. So it had to go. And so when my wife woke up, I said, uh, honey, I think I've made a big decision. And she said, uh, okay, tell me about it. And I said, I, I think I'm going to sell wish list. And she said, why? And so I told her and she's like, well, She's like, I believe in you and, you know, let's do it. If that's the right decision, then let's go for it. And it was an amazing exercise in being able to trust the process. It was an amazing exercise in getting clear on your priorities and how you make decisions. It was an amazing exercise in not only getting clear, but then sticking to it. And what's happened since, I couldn't have even imagined. But had I not made that decision, I wouldn't have had the space to be able to step into this next chapter of my career and ultimately my life. Hmm. And I think for all entrepreneurs, one of the things that I cannot recommend enough is getting clear on how you make decisions because it will dictate how you design your business. It'll dictate the types of projects you work on. It'll dictate the things that you say yes to and the things you say no to. It'll dictate the type of people you want to be around and the people that you don't want to be around. And it will influence so many areas of your life. And here's the secret. It's already influencing those areas, either consciously or subconsciously. Mm. And so 
if you want to build a business that allows you to do X, Y, Z, or allows you to live a certain type of life, you got to get clear on what decisions are going to get you there. And if you're not, then you're mindlessly going to be led with every opportunity that comes your way. Some will maybe take you one step closer. Others are going to take you five steps to the opposite side. And so with success, opportunities are going to come at you. And the more success you experience, the more opportunities are going to come your way. So you've got to get clear on what you say yes to and what you say no to. And so that's why I would recommend that you first sit down and think about how you make decisions. For me, low stress, high impact, high profitability. That's mine. For you, it's going to be something totally different, but you got to get clear on it. No, that's brilliant. I, I'm I'm beginning to think this isn't an interview. It's more like a masterclass. So, <laughs> so thank you very much on that one. So question seven is the last one. It's a life lesson question. So basically, I ask a guest to pick a number between one to 50. And whatever comes up, we talk about a life lesson that I've experienced. And we see how it, that has affected you. So Stu, pick a number between one and 50. 11. That was the 11. number. I played. That's not, that was my number playing soccer. Okay. This is the art of listening. Okay. So in my experience, what I generally did before I kind of like went through my, let's say my metamorphosis or my evolution or whatever it was, it was learning to actively listen what people say, but on a, on a, on a deeper level. So you talked about listening to your audience, but it's listening to yourself. It's learning to listen to what other people are saying, but on a, on a deep, deeper level. And I'm wondering what you think about that. Well, when you said listening to yourself, I could definitely relate to that because I think we all ultimately know the right answers to the tough questions Mm. in life, Mm. you know? And um, I think more than anything, we, especially as entrepreneurs, have to begin listening to ourselves at a more instinctual level and and then having the courage to be able to make the decisions based on that accordingly and one of the things that I do every single year is I do um, a variety of things that are, that uh, cause me to feel fear and yet I move forward anyway so that could be things like skydiving bungee jumping swimming with sharks driving a formula one car like things that like really get me feeling fear, but yet I push through that fear and do it anyway. And the reason is because in life, I know, because I've experienced multiple examples of this in the last several years, where we're going to be put in a situation where we know the right answer. Mm. Like when I was lying there in bed um, in that cabin, and I realized that Wishlist was an 8 out of 10, I knew the right answer was that I needed to sell it. But it would have been very, very easy for me to just stick with it, just to continue moving forward. I mean, everything was going great, you know, and it would have been really easy for me to stay there. But I knew instinctually, because I was listening, that it was not the right move. And I had to have then the courage to be able to move forward. And I only had that courage, I think, because I had been training myself to feel fear and move forward anyway. Mm -hmm. And so when it comes to listening, I think that, there's an important thing when it comes to listening to yourself, 
I think there's an important thing when it comes to listening to others, like your spouse and your kids and your significant other. Um, I think it's important, especially uh, when listening to your audience as it relates to business. Like that's why I spend so much time talking about the internal and the external and going deep on those things because that's what listening is all about is, is being mindful of what is your audience really saying and what are they not saying. And, um, and so, yeah, I think the art of listening is really, really powerful both personally, professionally, and in all areas of life. Brilliant. Stu, thank you very much. Um, it's really been an absolute privilege. So is could you share with the audience how people could find out more about you um, and anything that you want to, to tell them? Is it's, your, it's your minute or 30 seconds of to, to throw it out there. Yeah, sure. So there's two places I'd recommend people go. The first one is my main website, which is super easy is stu.me. So very easy to remember, five letters, stu.me. The second one is a new podcast that I'm launching called Marketing Your Business. And if you go to marketingyourbusiness.com, you'll be notified when we release new episodes. And the show is the behind the scenes of us growing, scaling, and marketing our business. The good, the bad, the struggles in between. And it's the journey of being an entrepreneur. And so I highly recommend if you're an entrepreneur, go to marketingyourbusiness.com. You're going to learn a lot, but you'll also uh, relate to a lot of what we're going through. Brilliant. Stu, thank you very much. It's been an absolute privilege to speak to you. I hope you have an amazing week and I wish you the greatest success. Thanks, buddy. I appreciate you. Take care. So first of all, just let me say a huge thank you for tuning in or subscribing to the show. I'm very grateful for that. If you have any suggestions of topics that you would like to to suggest that we have on the show, or perhaps you want to give me feedback of, uh, of what you think about the show, then you can send any emails to podcast at jeffnicholson.co.uk. I love hearing from you, and your feedback really does help me make the show better. So if you want to find out more about me or how I can assist you to live the exceptional life, then you can visit www.jeffnicholson.co.uk or you can follow me on Twitter, look for GN Coach, or on all other social media sites, I am Jeff Nicholson UK. If you want to subscribe to the show, you can find us on iTunes and Stitcher. If you've also enjoyed the show, can I invite you to pop over to iTunes and give us a rate and review as it really does help make the podcast more visible to increase its audience. I look forward to speaking to you next week and I want to take this time to wish you the greatest success. Take care.